So good afternoon and a very warm welcome to everybody on this very fine afternoon. So very big thank you for everyone giving up the sunshine to be in here. But the, you're going to have a different kind of sunshine this afternoon because we have a, a beautiful topic and I think it's a very topical topic. It's uh, the power to forgive and forget. And um, I think this is something that... Um, the whole world needs really, so that we can start again and uh, and uh, well, let's see. So I was so this afternoon our speaker is Sister Genti, and Sister Genti is the uh, European Director of Brahma Kumaris. She uh, is she has been a student and a teacher of this knowledge for well over forty five years. She spent most of that 45 years with really, really first-class yogis, and she's had really deep, intimate experiences and exchanges with all of them. I was thinking while I was sitting there, if I had to sum up two words to describe her, they would be the two words that are on the, the boards behind me, which is strength and wisdom. I think Sister Genti is a a fine combination of both of those qualities, and that's just two of them. So I am very, I'm, I, I'm really, really um, touched actually that Sister Genti has given us this afternoon because she has a hugely busy schedule. She's at the moment um, in meetings in uh, in our Lighthouse Retreat Centre in Worthing, and and then this evening she's going back this afternoon to a meeting, and then this evening she's going to Oxford to meet. Um, a group that are on retreat in Oxford. So we are really, really lucky to have her. And uh, I'd like you to give a nice warm welcome and invite Sister Genti to come onto the stage. Good afternoon and a greeting of peace. Om Shanti. And Linda, it's a joy to be here. So thank you for the invitation. And it's really wonderful that you decided not to go to the beach and come here instead. <laughs> not an easy choice after a difficult long winter. Does it take power to be able to forgive? I think so. An inner power that has nothing to do with external force at all. If somebody says to you, you must forgive, and tries to force you into that situation, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to do it. But there comes a moment when you start reflecting on things, and within your own heart, there's a power that comes in, in which you realize that if you want to be free, you need to be able to forgive. And so the power to forgive is actually the power to be able to fly, to be free. And unless I'm willing to forgive, I'll always be held down in bondage. And so little things, big things continually happen to each one of us in our lives. And sometimes we see what's going on in the world around us on the news and it's quite horrific 
and you think, well, these people have to deal with so much and what I'm dealing with is minuscule compared to all of that. But yet, of course, at that moment when I'm in that situation or in that relationship, it's the end of the world for me. <laughs> Never mind what it is for other people and the things they have to deal with. At this moment, this is what I have to deal with, and it's big, and I'm not sure that I can deal with it. And maybe time is a great healer, and so it takes a little bit of time. But at some point, when I decide to go on an inner journey, then I know that what I have to do is to start cleaning up things within myself. And usually, most of us carry a fair amount of sorrow. People, circumstances, places, destiny, whatever it was. But things have happened and I've accumulated that within myself. And I carry that sorrow. And especially when I go on that inner journey in silence all of those things start coming out. I met a woman who's pretty powerful and she'd lost her husband in a very tragic situation and her life was devoted to education and service and so she'd kept herself very well occupied with everything. And she was very happy to talk to us about education, children, the future. But when we said anything about meditation, she said, I don't want to go there. And I knew her history. And I also knew that it was through silence that the grief that she carried could be healed. And then at some point further down the line in the conversation, um, I suggested, should we try for a few moments? And she was willing. And in fact, what happened in that meditation was that um, she was able to go deeper than the sorrow she was carrying and come to that sacred space within herself. And when the meditation was over 10, 12 minutes later, um, there were a group of us there, so we'd finished the meditation, come out of that silence, but she was still lost deep in silence. And after that, she was not scared to meditate anymore because her first reaction had been, I don't want silence because I don't want to see the things that I'm carrying within myself. But I share this story with you to say that in the first instance, when I try to practice silence, I become aware of the things that I've suppressed and kept buried inside. But as I go even deeper, I come to a space in which I'm able to connect with the peace that is truly within the soul. So when we say Om Shanti, Om, I am, Shanti, peace. 
What we're doing is reminding ourselves that the original state of being, in a very natural way, is the state of peace. And when I connect with that, then I know that that's where I want to stay. I want to be able to hold this natural peace with me at all times so that I'm able to stay peaceful but also I'm able to share that experience of peace. And if there are any feelings of sorrow or bitterness that I carry within, I'm not going to be able to stay peaceful myself but neither am I going to be able to share peace with anyone else. And so the conversation we had after the meditation was of a very different caliber because now she was asking questions like, how do we have children come to this experience so that when they grow up, they carry this with themselves? And all of this was a conversation that was happening in one of the countries in Africa and it's a country that's been through a civil war it's a country in which at any moment there can be strife and so her question was a very practical one in terms of children but not just children, adults also of course when I learn to experience that inner peace and I say this is what I'd like to hold with myself. Then I say, okay, what do I need to do to clean out all the other stuff that I'm carrying so that I stay connected with my own peace within because that's more important to me now. Whatever happened before, whether it was yesterday or a year or 15 years ago, doesn't matter. I want to be able to develop the inner power to let go of that so that I forgive and forget, so that my peace stays with me now. You don't have to read the newspapers every day, and most people now that I'm in touch with tell me they don't read newspapers but they don't also watch television or radio to know what the news is because it's 90% of the time bad news, tragic news actually, not just bad news. But even if you don't read the papers, there's enough conversation around you to know the direction that things are going in. And as things get more and more chaotic in the world outside, I feel... I need to stay connected with my own inner truth and peace more and more so that I don't get shaken by the things that are happening. But also, if I can maintain my own inner stability, then I'm going to be able to have the capacity to help others around me. And so letting go of whatever it is I'm holding on to that's not allowing me to forgive. I need to develop that inner power to let go. Then not only can I be free, but I can be peaceful. I can be stable. And I can make sure that at a time of challenging circumstances, 
I don't depend on anyone outside to support me, but rather I am able to give support to others at that moment. So it's a subject for now, but it's also very much for me a subject in terms of preparation for the immediate future that the world is facing. And although Brighton might be quite comfortable at this moment, you don't know what's going to happen, when, where, how. So the power that I need to be able to forgive, that power comes from up above. That power comes from silence. And we'll take that up in just a few moments. But I want to share with you a few thoughts on the subject of forgiveness that have been important in my own journey. When I first started thinking about forgiveness, I realized that when I recalled the times that I have made mistakes and others have been able to forgive me, or even at times I felt guilty and then through meditation and prayer I've been able to feel God's forgiveness and grace and be able to move on. I realized how much benefit I had taken from up above, but also those around me who had been able to forgive me. And recognizing that, I felt that I now had to owe, I owed something to them. And it was my responsibility now to be able to forgive others. And so that was my first step in this whole process of experiencing enough compassion to be able to forgive and let go. It came about through that recognition and gratitude of what I have received. In a very simple way, you know yourself when you've been the recipient of love, then there's something in your heart that allows you to feel love. And if time and again you've felt rejected and you've built up a wall of resistance, then it's difficult to break that wall, to melt that wall and come back to the stage where you're able to give love or even to receive love. And so when we appreciate what it is we've been given in our own lives, then it's a very simple way to prepare for the next step of what it is I need to do in terms of others. And so my first step of understanding this was through just simply remembering how far I had been helped in my own journey through the compassion of others and the forgiveness that they had had for me. Another step in that journey came when I realized that, in fact, it wasn't even my capacity to be able to forgive. That was interesting because here was a situation in which I could see somebody was doing wrong and I had a, I thought, a close connection with them. 
a friendship that was strong enough for me to be able to tell them, I think this is harmful to many others. Um, and the person seemed to accept. But a little while later, I began to get information that the same thing was happening again. And again. And again. And I'd cautioned them each time because I was getting all that information. And it was as if they weren't quite understanding what they were doing. And I began to wonder whether there really was something missing. They were intelligent enough, but they were just not getting it. And the same pattern kept repeating. And at some point, I had to say to them that I don't think I could continue to support them with my friendship. And I felt that there was a limit and I just couldn't allow the people who were continually being hurt by their behavior to continue in that way. And I had to internally really distance myself and over a period of time I began to appreciate how much hurt they had caused various individuals and the question for me was where does forgiveness come in I tried to help them, support them give them my friendship and um, yet this thing continued and so where does forgiveness lie within all of this and the only way I could deal with it was when I realized that, in fact, we use this word karma. I'm sure you've heard the word karma. <laughs> and probably you've always associated the word karma with negative things. You might have heard the expression, well, it's their karma. But in fact, the word karma just simply means action. Nothing negative, nothing positive, just action. But when we say that there's a karmic account, then what we are saying is that there's a debt that's been occurred, incurred through negative actions that have been performed. And so there can be very good karma and there can be huge blessings accumulated through good karma. But when we usually say karmic account, then it tends to be in that negative sense where somebody has done things that have caused hurt and so there's an account that's been accumulated that needs to be settled. And I realized that whatever was her karma with the different individuals, now on the one side it was their account with her and each one had to resolve that in their own way. And some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. And then some of them would come to me and we would talk through things and try and sort things out. But by then I also had come to the feeling that there was a karmic account that she had with the one up above. And she had to make peace with that being herself and that had nothing to do with me 
And what I could do at this moment was really to support the people who I knew had been hurt. And they were, all of them, adults, and they knew what they were doing when they got connected with that individual. And so it was a gradual understanding of being able to let go of that. And handing it over to God. Sometimes you've heard this expression, let go and let God. <laughs> and it's very true that in that particular context, I felt there was nothing else I could do. I just had to let God come into the picture and whatever was that account that had been accumulated, she had to make peace for the creator and sort it out herself. But going through that process made me understand A, my responsibility of giving support to others who I knew had been hurt, but B, also not letting myself have any negative thoughts about that individual. A very interesting thing about karma is that yes of course it makes sense if I've caused hurt then at some point it's going to boomerang and come back to me and I'm going to feel hurt at some point in some way it's not necessarily an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth it doesn't work literally in that way and definitely it's not that if I've been hurt by you, now I consciously say, I've got to hurt you, and that's the account settled. That's not the way to go. That's not forgiveness. That's not the way to settle karma. But the settling of karma is by forgiveness, actually. If I've been caused hurt, if I can forgive, the account is clear, and there's nothing further to continue with that. I've been hurt and I carry that bitterness in my heart. Then at some point, because of that bitterness, I'm poisoned. If you've got a glass of water and there's just a tiny, tiny, minuscule drop of poison in there, are you going to say, well, it's only a tiny, tiny drop. It's okay to drink that water. You're going to say, no way. I'm not going to go anywhere near that. And so even if there's this tiny, tiny trace of bitterness I carry in my heart, and it doesn't matter whether it's for one individual or three or five individuals, I can't ever say, well, there are five people who cause me pain. I've forgiven three, but two, it's really hard to deal with that. <laughs> I can say it, but it just means that I carry that poison. And it's going to impact all my relationships at the present moment. It's not going to let me be free. I'll be colored by that experience and not be able to give happiness to those around me because I'm carrying that pain. And so karma is not just external action. 
that karma is also very much our thoughts, which at first sounds surprising, but then you spend a moment reflecting and you see that, well, it's thoughts that lead to words and actions. But even if my thoughts never actually manifest in any further action, the karmic account continues. Look at it from the positive direction. Here's somebody in pain, and I send my thoughts of prayer, of God's love to them. There is actually a process of healing that is initiated through that. And it's amazing that modern technology has brought us to this point where all these things can be measured now. Um, you can have all sorts of research projects and control patients and um, people who are being served by others with prayers. All of this is going on in the world now. And in one particular case, what they found was that um, they had a group of people praying for people in hospital. There was a group of patients and a control group, and the people who were receiving the prayers healed that much faster. The other group, the control group, weren't receiving prayers, and they knew they weren't, and so at the end of the experiment, they complained and said, well, what about us? <laughs> so in a very positive way, we know the power of thought, the power of positive good wishes, the power of vibrations. You've heard about cows that give a better yield of milk if they played sweet music, and <laughs> or the singing plants. If you um, go with a watering can and love to a plant, it sings. And now this is not even new information. I think this was in 1977 that at the Mind Body Spirit Festival, I had long queues around the whole block at Olympia in London, and one particular stand as big as this room was called the singing plants and that's what they were demonstrating they were able to actually make audible the sound that plants were making and obviously if you walked into the room with a pair of scissors with intentions that were not so good <laughs> the plants would scream really <laughs> so the point that Good thoughts, pure thoughts, thoughts of love, thoughts of God's remembrance can heal. And negative thoughts, they cause pain. And you felt it, haven't you? You know that somebody has good wishes for you. And they don't have to keep telling you, I love you, I love you, but you can feel it. And somebody else, you know, doesn't have such good wishes for you. And again, you're able to feel it. And so, when I'm able to let go and leave it to God and forgive, or even out of my own inner compassion say, I really truly forgive, then the power of that is such that that karmic account finishes. And if, on the other hand, I carry it in my thoughts, in my mind, there's two repercussions that happen. 
One is that on my own physiology. My body is impacted by the quality of thoughts that I have. 25 years ago, this would have seemed crazy. But in the last 25 years, we know that there's something that's described as psychosomatic illness. And some would say that most illnesses derive from that. Yes, there's other factors also agree. But the state of the mind and the state of the body are very deeply, deeply connected. And so my good thoughts, and I'm contributing to the health of this, and my thoughts of anger, of sorrow, of bitterness, and this body of mine is going to be impacted by that. My feelings, of course, and who wants to have a life in which you carry this burden of negative feelings with yourself? Human life is meant to be an expression of love and happiness. And very often we seem to be very far away from that. And so now to be able to come back to that, I understand. My thoughts can create karma and continue my karma with an individual unless I say full stop and I can say full stop I can't make them change their behavior have you tried changing someone? <laughs> you have <laughs> did you succeed? <laughs> you've succeeded? good for you <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> but most times, we don't succeed. <laughs> well, what we can do is change ourselves. And changing the self means, firstly, changing my own attitude, changing my own perception, changing the quality of my own thinking and feelings. And that is very much something that we can do. I was just hearing from someone today. Um, they live at our retreat center in Oxfordshire. And they were saying that um, when they were looking at the list of the reasons why people say they want to come to learn to meditate and come for a weekend retreat, he said that 99% of the people who are applying to come on a retreat for meditation all say that they want to learn to be able to deal with what's going on in their mind. And so people are aware of this, that the state of mind is something that you can do something about and it's important to be able to create a healthy state of consciousness, a healthy state of mind. And so... The repercussions of negative thoughts on my body, on my feelings, but also there's an ongoing connection with that individual or those individuals. And when I decide to put a full stop to that, I'm finishing that karmic account. I'm allowing myself to become free. In the early 1990s, 
we had this fantastic example of Mandela and years of solitude, time to be with the self, time to have very, very amazing visions and ideas about what to do for his people and his country. And he was able to come out after that period of intense confinement of in what could have been just a time of huge suffering and he could have come out with a huge, huge, not just chip but a boulder on his shoulder <laughs> but his period of solitude was used for deep thought and I had the amazing fortune of meeting him several times in South Africa but also several of his close friends. And with one of them, by the time I met, Mandela was already president, so the time was always short and precious. But one of his comrades, one of the people who was working with him, um, I had the opportunity of very long conversation with him. And he was saying that, and he was from a Muslim background, Indian origin Muslim background, and um, here was Mandela from a Christian background. And he said that um, when they were out um, on Robben Island, there was a stone quarry, and they had to be out in the sun, um, breaking the rocks to extract the stone from the quarry. And... I mean, that in itself was punishment enough to be out in the sun and then to be breaking the stones, carrying the stones. So it was really torture. Um, and he said that that would be our time to have deep, intense philosophical discussions. The rest of the time we were kept alone. But when we were out there in the quarry working... We would be doing the work, but our minds were in a different place. Our minds were engaged in philosophy and conversations about a world that was a very different world from the physical reality. And you can see that wherever the body is, whatever the body may be doing, but the mind can fly somewhere else. And he said, that's what kept us alive. That's what gave us hope. That's what made us say that, yes, there will be change, that things will be different. And so when Mandela came out, it was with this big spirit of generosity, of forgiveness. And literally, that changed the history of South Africa but also has been an inspiration for the whole wide world. Just a few weeks before the election, there were fears in South Africa in 1994 that there'd be a bloodbath, but there wasn't. Um, many people were concerned that this is what would happen, but the example of Mandela taken up by people 
and they began to have prayer vigils. And there was a whole period leading up to the elections of prayer vigils. And things went peacefully. And so it's become really, you know, sometimes things happen which are not just for one person or one place, but they become an icon for the world, an example that goodness does prevail, that truth and justice can happen, even though the world is so crazy. But the story is of one man and his spirit being so free that it did not recognize the limits of what human beings were doing and just came to that point of compassion and forgiveness. And so maybe I've been in a, in a place where there's been injustice. Maybe I've had things happen that should never have happened, were just not right. But example, a human being who is able to do this. And so am I able to transcend and come to a space beyond physical limits and the physical reality of things and find that generosity of heart? It's possible, and each one of us can do it. How long do I want to carry the burden of lack of forgiveness. I can choose to drop it at any moment, whenever I want. And at the moment that I choose, literally, it'll be gone. It's not a whole process, because you can go through many processes, but you still come back to the point that I need the power I need to be able to have that generosity of spirit. It's not a process. It's a moment of insight. It's a light that shines in your head. And you say, enough, I'm going to let go. The spiritual journey and the way to be able to take power from up above, or even in another way to empower the self, and emerge the compassion and love that is there naturally within the human spirit is the journey of silence, meditation. I don't want to go into it in a lot of detail now, but just to share two things. Firstly, that awareness that I am spirit. Yes, I'm using this amazing chariot this vehicle and I couldn't experience life without it so it's very valuable and important but the spirit that I am is who I need to know I know things about this but how much do I know about my inner world and the being that I am and so spending time with myself in silence. The story of Mandela is, of course, one thing, but the story of Mahatma Gandhi 
the icon for Mandela. Um, again, it's a story of time spent in solitude, imposed solitude often, <laughs> but time in solitude. And in that solitude, discovering the treasures within. And in that case, the power of nonviolence. And so, in silence, and it doesn't have to be solitary confinement for 21 years, but even just a few minutes, taking the time to go inwards and discovering who I am and discovering the treasures that I carry within myself. And that's not just for one or two, but for each and every one of us. Each one of us carries treasures within. But we need to have time to access them. Otherwise, we're too engaged in all the external things that are going on around us. Everyone will say they're busy. Of course, there's so much to do and so much distraction. But early morning, evening, whatever time, sitting on the bus, you don't even need to go to a place. Just sitting on the bus or the train. Just going inside. And spending time with yourself. And so the first step of meditation to know that I am that spirit within and within this spirit that I am I have the capacity to create thoughts my mind I carry within myself feelings and my own personality and my memories and now it's up to me to choose the quality of the thoughts I want to have, determine the feelings I would like to have, and be selective about the memories I wish to keep. As the memories emerge, so my feelings. Something happened 20 years ago, but the trigger is pressed and not only does the memory come back, but all the feelings associated with that memory. And so what feelings do I want? What memories do I want? I have to be able to have the power to choose and clean out my thoughts, my feelings, and my memories. And then, the second part and maybe I come to meditation without actually believing in God or knowing God, which is also okay. But just starting that journey of going inside and I connect with myself and it's possible then to feel the presence of the divine. Living life on the external plane I'm not in touch with myself and impossible to be in touch with God. But going inside, coming to my spiritual identity, then I can connect with the one above. And in that connection, I'm able to draw 
the love that I need. All of us need love. <laughs> but I can draw from up above. But also, I can learn to love myself. And then truly, I'll be able to love everyone around me. The lack of forgiveness and the lack of love is actually because I don't know how to love myself. And so starting with that, then the love for others, when I've been able to fill myself from above. And that will also give me the power to be able to let go of the past. Not easy. I know that. But I can't keep myself in bondage forever. And so my freedom is going to come when I can let go. But I take that power to be able to let go. So two simple steps, going inwards and connecting upwards. And maybe it sounds too simple, and it is simple, not complicated, but it still needs practice. You can know something very well, but until you actually do it, knowing it is not going to be very useful. So to know and then to practice. And then you see the results. And the results are then the encouragement to continue. Let me stop here. And I'm going to hand over to Linda to take us through the next phase. So we thought... Well, Sister Genti has given amazing amount of information, and we're going to give you 15 minutes to kind of process that, what she's shared this afternoon. Um, so we're going to put you into little groups so that you can share with each other, and because we find that this is a much more, it goes in, it sinks in a lot more if you, if you can verbalize it. And then we'd like you to come up with some questions. So Sister Genty hasn't finished. She, we're just going to give 15 minutes to maybe find f f three or four other people, share what you've heard this afternoon. I'm sure it's triggered off lots of things. I'm sure she's speaking to everyone in this room. And see if you can come up with a really, really good question. Yeah? So each group comes up with one question each, and then we'll feed that back in. Sister Genty will then continue and answer those questions. Then it makes it more personalized. Yeah? Okay? So if we can kind of turn our chairs around a little bit so that we can face the front. Anyway, that's generated a lot of really powerful energy. Nice you're all talking on the same subject. So I'm going to read the questions and, uh, and then Sister Genty will answer them. So the first question is, how do I forgive myself, let go, and move on? <laughs> I 
Well, the fact that I'm even thinking about the subject of forgiving myself is a big one. Because even before that, it means I realized that there's something that wasn't right that I've done. And for many people nowadays, there isn't even that much realization. So we're on the right track. So firstly, to realize and then to be able to say sorry if the person who I've wronged is around or I can connect with them to be able to say sorry to them and that goes a long way but deeply inside also to have a commitment to change because saying sorry isn't enough if I keep repeating the same thing even if it's not with that individual if it's with another and so realization, seeking forgiveness, apologizing and then thirdly the commitment to transformation and to be able to fulfill that commitment to honor that and see the change happen within myself and as I see that transformation happening then I can say thank you and let go but it is a process that is a process Second question, what can, what can you do when you don't believe in God or when you can't connect to God? When I came to meditation, I came because I had many questions and I then went to somebody who I knew was very wise, Daddy Janki. Some of you might have met her. She's now 99 and still around and still sharing great wisdom, amazing gems of knowledge. Um, this was in 1968. And what she shared with me was that it was important to be able to meditate so that then I would have clarity in knowing where to go, what to do, how to do it and that would be the way forward it made sense, I took the first lesson and it was a lesson of the soul and about mind and consciousness and personality and it was an amazing experience I could actually feel the soul and when I walked home this was in India and I was living with my grandmother for a few months um, it was a journey of about 15, 20 minutes walk. But I didn't walk, I flew. <laughs> it felt like that because this was just shining. And until that moment, I hadn't really thought too much about God because I was hearing so many different ideas, Eastern ideas, Western ideas, and the questions I had being answered neither by the East nor by the West. And so I thought, well, that's a subject I can come back to when I'm 60 years old. I was 18. <laughs> and because of that experience of the soul, um, next day when I went back and they talked to me about God, the information that was being shared was so simple, so clear, but I thought this makes a lot of sense let me try and so first step 
aware of the self, the soul. Second step, connect with God. And I really connected in the way that I was being taught um, as an experiment. No faith, no belief. <laughs> but the experiment was so beautiful. It gave such immediate results that I thought there must be something here. And I continued. So I think that more than the question of not believing in God, I think it's because we don't know how to connect with God. I really think that's the critical factor. And so how do you connect with a human being? It's not actually through your words and your actions. All that happens later. But the first connection is with the mind. Your mind connects with another person. And once that has happened, then of course the relationship begins. But when you remember somebody, again, you don't need a photograph to remind you. You don't need to sit in a special posture. You just remember them. And so the connection with God is through the thoughts, through the mind. And when I understand about the soul, I understand that God is also a being of light without a physical form. And so to connect with the Supreme through my thoughts is very natural. And this is why you can do it sitting here, you can do it at home, you can do it riding your bike anywhere. It's just connecting with the mind. Our next question is, if we encounter people we cannot help... How do we maintain our spiritual well-being and let go of them with love? Difficult. But so often you try and try and try and the door just doesn't seem to open. And then you have to try on a different level. And again, it's through the power of your good wishes from your heart and the power of of the mind, good thoughts, not influencing them in any other way, but just simply sending them your thoughts of love and good wishes. And if not today, who knows, at some point the door might open and they'll connect with you. At this moment they're not ready, but maybe other experiences in life will bring them to the point where they feel your good wishes for them and they'll come to you. I know that that has happened before now. Um, some of the... Uh, anyway, you can, uh, you can ask afterwards, but some of them feel like they've been answered already in some of your questions. So this one is how to handle fearful emotions in relation to forgiveness. So does it mean the fearful emotions that come up when you know you need to forgive? Is it this? Yeah? Does that make sense to you? Okay, I'll... Um, like Linda just clarified the question, just want to clarify it for myself again. Um, I know I should forgive, but I'm afraid to let go. Yeah? the fearful emotions that come up. Um, I have to have a dialogue with myself. And most times we don't do that. 
And this is why we don't even have heart-to-heart exchanges with other people. I have to first learn to dialogue with myself and then dialogue with God and also dialogue with others. And then relationships can become meaningful. Otherwise, everything's just happening on a very superficial plane. And the dialogue with myself, on the one side, my conscience is telling me I should forgive. And on the other side, my emotions are coming up and telling me, how is it possible? What's going to happen? They're going to be nasty to me. They're going to do it again to me. All sorts of things like this. And so, so far, human beings have been very strongly guided by feelings and emotions rather than our conscience. What meditation is doing is allowing the conscience to become alive again, to become strong. You're taking power from up above and in a very automatic way, the conscience is becoming very powerful. And the powerful conscience can then speak to the feelings and emotions. And the reality is that whatever it is I hold in my thoughts, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And if I'm telling myself, they're going to be nasty to me, they're going to turn their back on me, even if I ask for forgiveness, that's what they're going to do. Or even if I try and forgive them, they're going to be rude. Um, All of these things are coming up. And when I do approach another, I'm approaching them, but all these negative feelings are reaching the other. And so more than likely, they are going to turn their back on me. And then I'll say, you see, I knew that would happen. But in fact, I created that situation through the negative energy that I was putting out. And we don't realize that. And so if I'm in a place where I want to forgive or I want to seek forgiveness, I must remember the goodness of the other individual and trust in God and trust in their goodness. Because, yes, today I have a mixed bunch of habits and personality traits and everybody else also. And this is the fight that goes on inside of all of us. But if I'm focusing my energy on their negative behavior, that's what's going to come out. But if I can focus on their goodness and trust in that, my trust in God, my trust in them, and a new chapter can open. And so I have to dialogue and teach myself how to have good thoughts, good feelings, pure feelings. And the stronger my conscience is, the deeper my faith and the greater my ability to trust another. Um, Just one last question that's different from some of the others is about um, the past. And this one says, bitterness caused with someone who's already passed away a long time ago 
how do you how do you forgive and forget and move on? Although that person has moved on, I haven't moved on. I'm stuck. But also, um, I believe that the spirit doesn't die. The body goes through the period we call death, but the soul goes into a transition. And all traditions tell us that the spirit is eternal which means that thoughts and feelings are eternal. And so if I'm carrying that bitterness towards anyone, that feeling is still reaching the spirit that has gone. At some point, again, that negativity is going to cause me more pain, my own negativity. And so same principles apply. If I want to be free, I have to let go. And they've moved on. I don't even know how to reach them, and there's no need to reach them. Please don't try. But my thoughts are reaching them. And if I can let go and come back to a state of peace, then that peace also reaches them. And the feedback of that is a feeling of liberation, but also a feeling of settlement. Things are now settled. Otherwise, where you know that there's unfinished business, then there's a tension that's there. And so letting go means settled, free. Well, I think uh, I, I haven't asked all the questions, but they've crossed over. Does anyone have a question that they feel hasn't been answered? Sister Jen? One thing I'd like to ask is um, when we need to forgive somebody, surely we are making a judgment. God doesn't judge, so are we in a position to make a judgment on another person? Um, I understand what you say, and so this is why um, I was trying to deal with just the pain. So I, I'm carrying pain. So I need to be able to let go and forgive. But there are situations in which I can't judge. There's things beyond my control, and I can't say why, how, what. And so at that moment, I have to leave it to God. That soul and the Creator have to settle things together. And yes, I agree that God doesn't judge, but there's an account that's been created that has to be cleared. And so I'm not part of that. I'm going to leave it to however that gets settled. And so I have to, at some point, step away. We might have covered forgiveness, but what about forgetting? Because that is wisdom, and at least remembering to some extent so we don't hurt ourselves again? Um, part of the story of forgiveness is that there's a commitment to transformation so that then I transform myself so that wrong actions are not performed again. And in the forgetting, um, why that's also important 
is, I mentioned it very briefly, but it's a big subject in itself, in that we carry memories and from age two, maybe even earlier, there are things that I carry, but certainly from age two, you can remember scenes. So you're carrying all those memories, and some memories are very uplifting and very beautiful and bring joy. And other memories really make you heavy and get weighed down, and there's sorrow and pain. And so the cleaning of the memory track is important. Um, to come to terms with what has happened, acceptance, forgiveness, transformation, and then not going down that road again. Um, this is a big, big variation from Western psychology generally. Um, if you take it into a bigger framework, um, they carry the statement of lest we forget. But in fact, remembering past wars hasn't stopped us from triggering new wars. So history speaks for itself. And I remember somebody telling me, um, it's a very big subject, I'll try and condense it, but um, a woman who's a judge in India was with me um, in another country where we were seeing memorials to the dead. And she said that in India we don't keep memorials of disasters and through the thousands of years of history how many invasions has India had. And she said that this is why we've been able to keep moving on, moving on. We don't keep memorials. A few years later, I was in India, and I did see a memorial of a, a massacre. And this was in Amritsar. And there's a place that they call the Walled Garden. And some of you may know the story, but a Sunday afternoon, women and children, and literally it's a walled garden. And they were all shot. Soldiers marched in and killed them all. And for some reason, that's the memorial that's been preserved. And then it was in the same place, Amritsar. Her point was that where you keep a memorial of horror, it's going to breed violence. And so, again, a few years later after that, um, the news hit the headlines of Indra Gandhi um, sending in troops into the Golden Temple because she thought that they were... Um, uh, keeping the Sikh terrorists there. It's a Sikh temple. Um, and she thought that the terrorists were in hiding there, and so she sent in her troops there, and again, a massacre. And so it hit home where there's a memorial of torture and tragedy. Then it's going to create further feelings that incite violence. So it seems that on a very personal level, what I can do is deal with my memories and be able to put them into perspective, put them into context and say, now it's time to finish that and move on. Satisfied? Did you enjoy that process to be able to share a little bit? Okay. Should we have a meditation?
focus my thoughts inwards and I can feel the light that I am shining in the forehead within this very precious instrument of the body I, the living being share my light from this home this place in the forehead as I travel inwards going deeper and deeper within myself I set aside other thoughts that come and just stay focused on coming to the core of my being and here in the sacred space there is peace I had forgotten that my natural state is peace and having tasted the sweetness of this experience I want to be able to hold it and stay with it and from this awareness of peace I can look back and see the journey of my life things that were good and not so good the good things that I did that bring me joy when I think of them and the things that I did that were not so good and in this moment I realized that I have the opportunity of change I have the possibility of transformation and I want to settle the account 
of the things that were not so good. I decide that I want to let go of those habits that caused me pain and caused pain to others. And in this moment of realization, I let go. And transform. And I resolve to seek forgiveness. In this awareness of peace, I become aware of the divine, the being of light, the supreme. And from the supreme come rays of light, of love. I fill myself with the light of truth and I fill myself with this pure love from the ocean truth cleanse the soul and I understand what it is I need to do and with the power of love I can let go and forgive letting go I set myself free the burden is lifted and not only do I feel God's love but I can feel God's grace And I can see a new chapter opening for me 
one that's filled with joy in becoming free joy returns to my life again keeping this connection with the supreme so that the love and the truth stay with me I come back to the physical dimension and the things here and now but now filled with love and joy Om Shanti Om Shanti